Thanks for tuning in and welcome to the Angry Millennial Podcast with your host, Jose Rosado, and co-host, Stevie Chris, where we talk to creatives and entrepreneurs from all walks of life and passions about the creative lifestyle, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Be sure to check out our site, theangrymillennialshow.com, and sign up for our newsletter to be eligible for prizes and giveaways, as well as stay up to date with new shows and upcoming guests. Hope you enjoy the show. Bocafire.com. Bocafire is a better way to rent professional DSLR lenses. With 30-day rentals, unlimited swapping, free shipping, and free insurance coverage, Bocafire is the best deal around. Use any Pro, Canon, or Nikon lens for your DSLR camera with no return dates and no stress. Keep it as long as you want. When you're done, Send the lens back using the prepaid shipping label and swap it for your next one. Offering all the most popular Canon and Nikon lenses, including primes, zooms, telephotos, and a lot more. Use the coupon code ANGRY15 to get 15% off any Bocafire membership. Valid now through July 2016, only at Bocafire.com. Hey guys, so for some of you may be wondering, why is this episode in place of the usual Thursday episode that we do? Uh, reason being, quite honestly, is that for anyone who knows uh, me or the you know everyone here at the Angry Millennial, having a chance to sit down with Chase Jarvis, you know, this early on within the podcast and that sort of thing is a pretty big deal. Uh, it definitely, if you've listened to last Thursday's episode, um, you know, we talked about how this is like the furthest. No, not like this is the furthest we've gone for a recording all the way across the country to Seattle. It was an amazing experience getting a tour of the creative live space in Seattle, getting to see all the things they're doing in terms of like the new construction and, and expanding the space and that sort of thing. It was, you know, and of course, just sitting with Chase and being able to, um, you know, ask him every question I could ever have thought of and, and get and ask questions that quite honestly are ones that people haven't asked before. He's definitely one of the most interviewed people in, in the space. So for me, it was big to um, not only, you know, ask certain questions people would love to hear, but even ask different types of questions that never really have been asked before. So, you know, we ended up getting a shit ton of content uh, and and thank you again for for Chase and the people at Creative Live for giving us that kind of access while we were out there. So we got so much content that we're actually breaking up this episode into two parts. Um, so the first part, you know, we'll go through today, and you know, have you know, breaking kind of the mold uh, of of what Thursday episodes, and then um, the Monday episode will be the second part. Well, we'll go over the the second half of the uh, of the interview. So, hope you guys like it. Uh, I know for a lot of you, this is probably our biggest guest to date in terms of um, you know the audience he has, the the reach, and the popularity of what he does. It is for a lot of you who don't know him, uh, you may just hear photographer or creative live, but you'll definitely be getting a good inside look into a guy who's quickly transcending all of that and uh, and really taking a space in the overall education industry uh, of online education. So again, hope you all enjoy it. And without further ado, Chase Jarvis. 
my pants are totally wet. It's like I pissed myself. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about that. You definitely knocked over a drink 10 seconds before we started. Luckily, like you said, it's radio. So yep. there's there's that. Well, except for that. I got a face for radio. Yeah. 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 Um, all right. So let's get right into it. First off, let's definitely chat about how I got a really cool tour of what you guys are doing in this space. Sure. Uh, here in the Seattle uh, studio. So... You want to start off, even just tell me this is the original space, correct? This is not the actual original space. The actual original space is about as big as the room that we're in right now. Literally, Creative Live was launched from a place that was about, oh, 200 square feet. Shut grimy up. warehouse in South Seattle, about a mile south of here. And uh, yeah, it was in the back of this little warehouse. And we quickly graduated to this building after, right. um, you know, we as soon as we went live, I think our first class had about 50,000 people in it. And... Um, we know we, we we recognized that we we had a tiger by the tail, um, and then actually thanks to my wife Kate, mm-hmm. who discovered this space in historic South Lake Union, and I say historic only because it's the whole neighborhood's like like five years old, um, and but it has just exploded. It's literally the fastest growing neighborhood in the country per capita. There's more square feet of real estate being built. Amazon opened up uh, their campus uh, about three blocks from here, so this whole neighborhood's just exploding. And we were on the very very early tip. I mean, it was a, a crack dealer sort of right. uh, dirty warehouse neighborhood just five years ago. We moved in right on the tail end of that. And uh, we've slowly been taking over this building little bit by bit as Creative mm-hmm. Live continues to grow. And what I just gave you a tour of is we are in our last sort of phase of construction right. to unify the uh, the Death Star. <laughs> no, I guess maybe this is the Millennium Falcon because San Francisco, maybe, maybe San Francisco I was about is the to say. Death Star. <laughs> Um, anyway, for those of you who don't know, we're talking about Creative Live, and uh, that we're at the location here in Seattle today. Right? Yeah, and yeah you've yeah. been to the San Francisco one too. Have you? I have, mm-hmm. and that one's pretty cool. Yes, so I was there for the the grand opening launch party kind of thing, and it was really neat because not only did we get to see a lot of the Silicon Valley, you know, bigwigs uh, show up and, and talk, um, but it was kind of an all star party of people who have been on previously yeah. who just wanted to come hang out and show support and it was a lot of fun good we had good yeah. djs yeah went late I yeah think you hung out with my mom didn't you i did literally <laughs> i did no i did your mom your aunt yep. right oh yeah and, and kate yep there so the chase's three biggest women in his life yeah. and and they were awesome there that's a trifecta to be reckoned with right yes there. they were we had a great time that was, it was i was that was fun so yeah so that's pretty interesting i've been to seattle once before uh but when i think of booming real estate cities i think san francisco for sure i don't think i don't don't know about anyone else i don't think a lot of people think of seattle as this huge space where all these huge companies are coming in like you just said amazon bought 30 buildings yeah they 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 basically there's a guy uh the co-founder of microsoft guy named paul allen Mm -hmm. um he owned about a billion dollars worth of real estate in this neighborhood 10 years ago he was gonna he's gonna turn it into a park and was now negotiating with the city to do so city rejected the ballot by vote because of it was tied to a bunch of other things he said heck with it i'm gonna develop it and you know we were worried about where i was going uh and then um he brought in amazon and they first bought a billion dollars worth of real estate from Paul and then started building buildings like crazy. And there's literally, I think, 30 skyscrapers under construction in Seattle right now. Wow. And 22 of those are within 10 blocks of here. So it is, it's is—it's like a war zone. Trying to, yeah. <laughs> I was late to work today because I was tr- trying to get here. It's like, uh, um, it's hairy. Yeah. I seen last night I was driving around and I took an Uber that said it should take three minutes to get somewhere. And it was literally only like a mile and a half away. 
And it took 25 minutes because of road closures <laughs> yeah. and construction. I was For like, sure. Holy shit. For sure. Yeah, Seattle's a, it's a cool town, man. Um, this yeah. is where uh, uh, I was born and raised here. Creative Live was founded here. Mm-hmm. Um, my photo studio has been here for many, many years. Um, and, it, you know, it's just, it's got, a, it's tucked up here in the corner and there's, it gets dark and it's very rainy. So there's a lot of creativity. You know, the music scene, obviously, it speaks mm-hmm. for itself with the, yeah. that history. And that's still very, very booming. Uh, and then when Creative Live went down to San Francisco, I, you know, also developed a huge uh, respect for the culture down there, the city, the the ethos of of innovation and reinvention, and uh, of course Silicon Valley and right. all of that. All, Have all you that stuff. did you travel there a lot growing up? Uh, yeah, I would say yeah. a fair bit. You know, California is close by; it's sunny down there, so we used to get down there quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but you know, now I'm down there uh, actually disproportionately to Seattle. I'm, I'm down in San Francisco because there's a lot going on there as well. Yeah. So. All right, cool. There you go. Very nice. Well, that's a that's a tour of the geography of the region. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of traveling, uh, I know in one of your recent interviews uh, in the UK, you've opened up, honestly, more than and ever, talking about some things that I think even the most seasoned veterans and listeners of what you know you do have never really knew. So, uh, can you tell me more about your UK trips early on in your childhood? Oh, yeah. That's what you're talking. Are you talking about the? Uh, <laughs> I was wondering where you're going with that one. Now yeah. I'm putting it together now. So I think you're talking about a podcast I was on in the UK. Mm-hmm. Um, I would I just been over there speaking um, at Virgin Disrupt. Mm-hmm. Uh, Branson is an investor in Creative Live. No shit. And um, is that the only thing you put on the press kits? He, no, he's, he's become a <laughs> uh, you know huge inspiration and a um, uh, just mentor is maybe too strong a word. Um, but he's just really, really inspirational cat. And so I was over there meeting with those guys, the Virgin crew and speaking at Virgin disrupt with twice a year, I think they take on a, a big issue and this one was education. Mm-hmm. Um, so I flew over there to be a part of that and it's, you know, really great, uh, experience and they live streamed it and whatnot. Um, but the podcast, I think mm-hmm. that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Um, I talked about London as a really, uh, formative place for me in the world. I grew up very middle-class. Um, I'm proud of those. The Adidas with four stripes, yep. if I remember correctly. Yep, yeah. Adidas with four stripes, upside down Nikes, the swoosh with the, I was like, here's your Nikes. I was like, why don't mine look different than everybody else's? <laughs> um, no, I, 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 uh, I'm proud of my, my middle class blue collar upbringing for sure. Um, and I was a lot better off than many. Um, but you know, certainly not, not at all, uh, wealthy. I had everything that I wanted, food, shelter, right, roof, right. all that stuff. But, uh, my parents were very frugal. I remember mm-hmm. that the, it was always like 61 degrees in our house. And, you know, it was where I'd, I'd go to my friend's house and I'd say, Mom, turn up the heat. I'm cold. My mom was like, Yo, get a sweatshirt. <laughs> yeah. You're literally standing in front of me with a t shirt and shorts on, complaining, <laughs> put clothes on. <laughs> um, but uh, what they were doing with that money is they'd, they'd save it up. And every year we would take a big trip. And so, despite, you know, very humble um, roots, just for example, taking me to to London for a couple of weeks, and we did this, you know, annually. Um, I think we had some roots there, so we could stay with friends and save yeah. money and whatnot. Um, but it just it blew my mind wide open, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in like sixth, seventh, eighth grade. Piccadilly Circus in the eighties was full of punk rockers. It was literally like, yeah. um, you know, the Sex Pistols, and and so much of that ethos was born in and around Piccadilly Circus, the big Mohawks, the right. Tats, and the and it just it was so uh, eye opening for me coming from you know uh, middle class white suburbia in right. in uh, outskirts of Seattle, 
And I remember it has helped me understand what was possible, what culture, that it was a moving, changing thing, and that there were pockets all over the world where different things were happening. And it was just a huge eye-opener um, and, and very inspirational. So I, you know, I give my parents full credit for yeah. getting me out so to speak. And, you know, I have a lot of friends that I don't have kids, but I have a lot of friends that have kids and I see them trying to sort of do the same for their kids, right. even at a young age. And I think it's just really, you know, creating uh, or demonstrating culture is a very, very powerful, yeah, of uh, course. powerful thing. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, you pretty much just traded one rainy, cold, dreary city for another. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's to me, uh, the second I heard that, that's awesome. Because like yeah. you said, it's, I mean, I hate to generalize an entire area, but I feel like this area is a lot like parts of, say, you know, Maine, mm-hmm. where people are very conscious about the environment, and everything else. But just like you said, they maybe have like, you know, I'm just generalizing here, maybe ride the bike to get groceries instead of using the car and save money on that. But again, all that goes to a higher purpose, your priorities, give my kid more culture, travel, stay sure. with friends. Yep. You know what I mean? Like your parents were basically probably Airbnb in the 80s. You know what I mean? <laughs> right. And uh, my, you know, that's something that a lot of people don't really think of. For sure. You know? Um, so that's that's really yeah, cool. Yeah, huge set of gratitude for my folks uh, for, for doing that. And again, it was a, it was an ongoing thing. Right. You know, Ibiza, the big party mm-hmm. island. Mm-hmm. I was going to there when I was literally in eighth grade. Shut up. <laughs> the shit you I was so seen. Ibiza before <laughs> Ibiza was Ibiza. It wasn't even, it was a shit, man. Yeah. No, but I literally remember like, crazy dance parties as a, a you know eighth grader in the summer they're going like wow where are my parents i haven't seen them in a long time they're out partying with their friends um but just exposure to that kind of culture yeah it certainly um like injected a sense of of creativity and like a feisty spirit right. spirit in me for sure yeah hey, here's the sound of breakfast <laughs> that's not a bud light lime that's yeah. it's a talking rain talking, sparkling water talking rain a very Northwest brand, yeah, by the yeah. way, speaking of your earlier sentiment about riding your bike to the farmer's market to get organic produce. Yeah, I can imagine. It's funny. So you mentioned something that actually we, we spoke with uh, someone who went to Boston uh, not too long ago about. Have you ever heard of um, Design Museum Foundation? No. So it was a guy so co-founded by one guy named Sam Aquilano. And he was basically like an engineer who knew about design and worked at Bose, right? Right out of college. And he went to Rochester uh, Institute of Technology. So that's like, you know, the MIT of New York. Yep. And uh, he he told me he started this thing and he goes, one of the big things they're working on now where they have now, they have like all kinds of funding and it's really blowing up. They have actually, they're opening one up in Portland and in... Will that be the PIT, the pit? (laughs) (laughs) And then I think, uh, I want to say San Francisco? I'm butchering it, but basically they're they're going all the way all across the country, and one of the things they've been working on is uh, unstructured play for children, oh, like yeah. helping their development. Right. Mm. So one of the things is they're basically uh, showing off some of the coolest playgrounds around the world uh, that are, and there's one in the UK. It reminded me of what you went through, where literally it's called the the woods, kind of like the movie. Sure. Where it's there's huge walls. It's supposedly a mile big. Oh, wow. And there's only one adult allowed at a time. So you have like three-year-olds to like 10-year-olds running around with axes, matches, like making fires, doing all this stuff. Will you sit there and go, I mean, I'm 32. So kind of You look great, by the way. Thank you. You grew up in the 80s. And and I'm sitting there thinking, I remember, and I hate to say when I was a kid, but I remember like I'd be out for hours at a time 
and would just go home for dinner. Yep. When the streetlights went on, that right. was that amount of time yeah. to go home. Yeah. But then nowadays you look at, and they talked about it. He's like, people don't realize how we're slowly, you know, starting to keep kids closer and closer to us and that sort of thing. And and I, I know it myself, you know, me and my girlfriend have two kids and I'm not gonna lie. When I'm sitting on my front porch and I see him going past the street. I can't see anymore. I go, look, just turn around. And I'm sitting there going like, oh man, like, is that really, <laughs> you know? And, and it's crazy how they talk about how he wants to kind of take ownership of that again. Sure. And they talk about, how like, you know, when let's just say someone's grandfather had maybe a three mile radius around his house that he could travel and yep. go to un- un- unsupervised. Then his daughter um, had maybe, uh, you know, I don't know, 10 block radius, right? And then the- Your kids. Right, yeah, your kids then have maybe a one block radius, right? And then your grand, like your grandkid has ended the driveway. Well, and, and like, let's talk about this in mm-hmm. terms of creativity for just a second because they're- those things are not unrelated. Right. You know, the, um, I talk, my, my upbringing was very much about, uh, I didn't have a lot of fancy toys. I had like, here's a block of wood, dude, like go figure it out in the backyard. And, um, and it's the, it's the first time in the history of the world that the people who are coming out of school are, uh, the, the class after them is being called less creative. Mm. And so there really is a creativity crisis, not just in our country, but globally, and we have to actually do something about it. So this sort of the, your mm-hmm. square mile of play in mm-hmm. London uh, with the museum, like all those things are things that we actually have to put in place right. because we want this innovative society. And yet we have a school system, for example, um, who that's based largely at the factory and the farm. These are things from the 18th century and before, or in the 19th century and before um, that are, you know, the, the school systems based on the factory where you put, widgets in one side, you move them through the system all at the same time. Then on the other end, you, you expect them to come out like these fully formed things, but mm-hmm. not only are they not fully formed, but they're formed like they're all the same person. Like they all needed the same kind of knowledge, amount of knowledge at the same time, which we know is not true. It's a very sort of efficient system mm-hmm. for controlling societies, but right. a very inefficient and ineffective system for creating uh, an innovative culture. Mm-hmm. And uh, or a creative culture, so we got work to do, and that's one of the reasons that Creative Live exists. Mm-hmm. Um, and but there's there's all kinds of other things that are we need to be doing as a culture, uh, doing a better job of. So. Right, right. So here's a question: Do you think that the the landscape is trending towards with you know obviously well it is with like streaming and real time content? You know, like you said, you you stream live stream what creative lab does all of the streams yeah yeah is it ushering in more openness and less of this like highly curated content that we kind of have been seeing the last while yeah you know i I think i um i definitely believe deeply in uh real time and the the internet's ability to deliver real time Mm -hmm. and, and put broadcasting in the hands of uh you know democratize the access to those tools right been a huge advocate of that for a long time uh, I think there's an interesting trend that we're seeing now with, you know, and I think a lot of us didn't even know that we were contributing to a problem. And I, I can say that I'm uh, guilty of this totally accidentally, but what, you know, I, I, I talk to creatives all over the world and one thing is common and that's this sort of fear, um, doubt, you know, there, mm-hmm. you know, there, there's, that's a part of putting stuff out in the world, putting pieces of yourself out there, being vulnerable. You know, I've said vulnerability is the new black, but in the early, you know, the early iteration of having access to these tools, I think people largely lived a very edited life. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I was putting out these photo videos, you know, there was no such thing as behind the scenes videos, for example, that right. the term didn't even exist. Yeah. And what I was really doing is documenting my journey of becoming a photographer. And as that escalated, I found myself doing, you know, getting cooler and cooler shit and traveling all over the world, the most exotic locations with huge crews and helicopters and big budgets. And so, you know, I was basically making behind the scenes videos of those things, not realizing that what I was doing was creating sort of a highlight reel of my life that didn't it intended to inspire other people because no one was a photographer because they were right. told by their parents that it was a crappy thing to do and I was trying to actually flip that on its head but I was also contributing in a way that I think made other folks say oh shit man I'm not good enough or whatever and I'm like hey dude you're you're comparing my highlight reel to your day to day and if right. we flip those your yeah. highlight reel to my day to day my day to day is just is the same grind that you're going right. through yeah, so yeah. um you know the real time access to bring it back around the real time access I think is amazing and it's much it's it's just a lot more authentic. There's right. you know it's very hard to edit that stuff unless you're rolling really polished. Yeah. And that's you know one of the foundations certainly of Creative Live, certainly of Chase Jarvis Live, um, was just getting to that raw essence. That's why Creative Live or sorry Chase Jarvis Live is shot in black and white. It's reductive. It's simple. It's just trying to be focusing on the conversation right. and the people. And there's a couple other reasons I did that black and white thing. We've talked about and mm -hmm. you know before we got on the show that's not really relevant right now. But um, ultimately, I like the live, the now, because it cultivates a sense of authenticity in a way that a perfect polished video cannot. Right. And, um, and I, if I had a message to take away for some creatives that are on the other end of this, this microphone or it's, I'm in their headphones or whatever right now, it's that you're good enough right now. Like don't wait till tomorrow or three weeks or three years, God forbid right. to put your work out there and do not cult, you know, do not compare your, the place you are right now to somebody else who's right. been at this game for a long time or to somebody else's highlight reel because mm -hmm. you need to know that the world needs to see and get your work right now. So go to work and put it out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it, uh, you know, I actually... She's still filming. She's still periscoping for you right there. Oh, look at that. She's her only, hands are going to fall yeah. off. <laughs> I was going to say... Her hands are white and, yeah. and she's brown and yeah. that means there's no blood in there. She's going to fall off. <laughs> so anytime... Yeah, tell me, tell me, like, how far in? Do they have a timer? I don't even know. I know nothing about your Periscope. phone is gonna melt. Yeah, is is there a timer or anything on there? Okay, I was gonna say if anything, you can like cut it out because you know we want people to actually listen to this thing, not go. I already already saw everything Chase had to say on on Periscope. I'm good. The what? Sorry. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Cool. Later. Um. But it's funny, it brings up something that, that I've, I've talked about a lot where, you know, uh, other creatives should not be your competition. And we, and like you said, you, um, when you first started, you, all the shit you got was from people saying, what are you doing? Because for, let's just say, that point to the beginning of time when cameras were invented, it was a black box. Yep. And that was the way it was operated. So when you started pulling back the curtain, people were understandably pissed. And, uh, but at the same time you sit there and go, well, listen, what if we, and I'd say like, you know, band together, but what if we say, Hey, we all can build each other up instead of bringing each other down. For sure. And it's scary to think that when you say that people think you're some yogi talking about some, you know, foo-foo <laughs> shit. I'm like, but no, it's just a reality. Yeah. I, as a photographer, I have friends who, like you said, I mean, it was funny. We talked to Jeremy Cowart and he joked around that when he used to watch your videos of you flying in helicopters and shooting, he just hated his life. And look at Jeremy Cowart. Right. You, you know what I mean? So everyone does it. But it's one of those things that if you say, hey, if you just look at that person as a equal yep. who's just at a different point in their career than you are, yep. that 
that alone elevates your confidence, elevates your ability to take risk, elevates your ability to just go out and do what you want rather than what I think a lot of photographers can do is make fucking excuses Yeah, where you sit there and go, oh, my camera's not good enough. Or my portfolio isn't good enough. I got to redo my book. And it's, you know, I tell people, just, just go out and do it. Yeah. You know, if you're friends with those people, talk with them. For like, sure. Or become, become friends with them. Don't yeah. hate, congratulate. You know, yeah. that's the thing yeah, that yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm kind of, uh, the, 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 it's a very old time mentality in my mind to think about, uh, tearing one another down instead right. of like banding together, learning. Uh, and again, it was very controversial, whatever, 10 years ago, and we started sort of chipping away at that. But uh, I think it's more welcomed now than ever before, but there's certainly still a long way to go. There's still this sort of like my turf, your turf thing that that uh, is just, it's laughable for me because that's the work of sort of um, small, insecure people. I was going to say small people. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. All right, switching gears. Bradley Cooper. Do you see it? I mean, I definitely do. I'm, they're laughing because I'm sure they do. Uh, do you get that all the time, don't you? I, it's... So I, in truth, I literally get it multiple times per week. Wow, really? Yeah, and um, it was really horrible when he back in the Alien days when he was a real dork. Yeah, he was, yeah. He was, he's, he, it's gotten better because yeah, he's, he's he was like, always he's, the he, dick in every movie. And he's, right? And he's stepped up his game, and uh, he's he's certainly come into his own as an actor. So it's I'll take it now. But a lot of like just I've had it several times on planes. The the uh, the, <laughs> the flight attendant will come back like. Um, yeah, we know, we know you are. Would you like to, you know, you want an extra gin or something? And I'm like, um, sure. I think you think I'm Bradley Cooper and I'm not, but I do have an interesting project. Um, I'm, I think my next, uh, chapter is going to be, I'm going to go be a body double, a stunt body double for Bradley Cooper and make a documentary about becoming that. I, oh my God, I would, that'd be awesome. So we have, we have some mutual friends and, and those mutual friends say, it's like, it's weird. Like I pass yeah. you in the hall and I think I'm like, Oh wait. Oh, oh. But anyway, yeah. So I get it all the time. And, um, and it's funny. He's a PA. He's a PA native. Yeah. Yeah. He's a Philly oh, boy. That's right. I heard he was, uh, he was representing the, the Eagles when yeah. you get, he made a commercially VO to commercial yeah. for the Eagles. I yeah. He, uh, if you've seen, um, uh, silver linings playbook, mm-hmm. it was all filmed around his old area and his stomping grounds and in, in, in the suburbs of Philadelphia. And, uh, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, there's some there's some parodies on the internet where the people have actually cut out pictures and it's it goes too deep for me. Really, I never yeah. knew any of this. I anyway, moving was... on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you've been uh, so obviously, like we said, ten years ago, you were doing stuff where you were putting you know free content online for over a decade now. It seems um, how many years really did it did pass before the idea of Creative Life kicked in? Now. I'm not talking funding sure, this sure, live, sure, sure, but like sure, sure. the idea of it. Uh, I think the idea came about very organically. Um, it was something where a, a friend of mine named Craig Swanson, uh, who was, uh, he had a, a, a Mac tech business. He was servicing the, the Mac network in my photo studio. Um, and he was also, you know, great at doing that for creatives all over the Northwest at agencies, you know, in-house places like Nordstrom and RAI and whatnot. Um, and he, he was really, really, uh, he was instrumental in helping me see the power of the internet for sure. Right. The guy that first suggested I make, make a behind the scenes video. Oh, he was the one? Yeah. Yeah. He's like, you should, yeah, you should make a video. You're, you know, you got this blog thing you're starting, but you know, put this a video blog. out there. <laughs> <And> everyone was <laughs> on, on blogger. On blogger. That's right. <laughs> um, and so 
he and I got along really well. We've been friends for 10 years before starting Creative Live, actually. Um, but the the incarnation, you know, he he was off doing his thing and I was doing my thing and my thing was sharing content. And of course it was for free. Mm-hmm. And um, and I really, there was never an attention of sort of building an audience. To that, them, that was like, right, yeah. It was just like sharing content and trying to get us to think together as, you mm-hmm. know, see our earlier points about how can we band together and be stronger and learn and help one another as opposed to the other way around. And so I was making content on the shoulders of that concept. And, uh, you know, when people started watching these videos and the numbers on my blog started growing quickly, just based on someone having a point of view in the photography industry, because right. their people were very, very inward focused, uh, very protective, mm-hmm. very isolationist. Um, anyway, the numbers started growing quickly and it helped me understand that, wow, there are people actually give want a this. shit. Yeah. yeah. They want yeah. this information. And, you know, you, you mentioned earlier, I sort of talked about photography as a black box. People see the pictures in the magazines and the, the ad campaigns and they see a photographer on the other end, but they don't have any idea what happens in the middle. So I was going to tell that story. And, and that's basically the foundation of the blog and the videos that I was doing. And, um, that the audience was growing the, the folks that are, you know, I, I, I prefer to call it community. Mm-hmm. Um, so the community around what it was doing was growing. And so I knew there was a healthy appetite in the, you know, millions of people, not just hundreds or thousands. Uh, and Craig was also burning out doing, you know, basically as a, his, you know, he had a small crew and that's an hourly service business. Right. And he was spending all his time with creatives and he wanted to sort of help them, uh, help them learn because he was teaching them. He was just teaching them about tech stuff. Like right. what if he could teach them about Illustrator and right. InDesign and some of these things. So he started doing webinars and it was really the combination of those two things that came together um, when live internet really hit its stride in, in um, 2000, in January of 2010, Ustream sort of, they had launched earlier, but they, to very, very little fanfare. Right. Um, and I broadcast the world's first live photo shoot and I was shooting a, a an alt punk band called, um, Brent Amaker and the rodeo. And I just put like literally a webcam pointed at the, sh- at the shoot and 25,000 people watched. Holy shit. And I was like, okay, there's really something here now. So this is live, this live internet things happening. My friend Craig's doing webinars. Um, for, for, I'd say the previous, um, several months when he was doing this webinar idea, um, we talked about education being free Mm -hmm. and, but what would be a business model around that? And then Craig came up with the idea of like, it's free when it's live and you only have to pay if you want to own it. So he was testing that on that webinar platform. And I was working on live internet, moving cameras around behind the scenes, photo shoot stuff. And that was getting a lot of attraction. So we basically put those things together and I'd say, it, it was very like creating creative lives very intentional because there was a it was a hole in both of our hearts to give back and it just so happened that that coincided with the hole in the marketplace and that that stuff didn't exist and so that was early um we we literally spent a bunch of sundays in a row whiteboarding um what this new thing could look like and in late 2009 i had just launched the best camera app we couldn't talk about that, but yeah. Great. So I, I launched that to, uh, you know, that was a very successful project. And what I realized that my photography studio, my photography career had really, un, you know, it had become a, a little bit of an incubator for mm-hmm. ideas. Right. Ideas around creativity, ideas around community and technology. And uh, that's when photographers, the first concept of a photographer being more than I'll say just a photographer because then we started to, you know, tell stories about ourselves as photographers and our community. Mm -hmm. And that's when behind the scenes videos happen. And then, 
I was fortunate enough to launch the world's first uh, video, you know, DSLR, which that was the Nikon D90, which predated all of the, you know, Canon stuff. And uh, so unlocking that new technology, all these things were happening. And it, it very, very much felt like when I went to work every day at the photo studio, that my crew of 10 or 12 people, we were incubating ideas and growing them. Mm-hmm. And it was more more about that and less just about taking pictures. Right, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, and it, it, like you said, it's one of those things where a lot of times, uh, you know, you'll say you have these hiccups and these roadblocks and, and you keep fighting through them and then you go, oh, well, this thing, right, seems like it was just a culmination of a bunch of things starting to come together at the same time. For sure. And, and that's got to be, you know, looking back on it five years ago, yep. you know, it's got to be kind of crazy to think about. Oh, where you're it, like... And stars, I, the stars aligned. I, yeah, there are a handful of things where uh, I think Craig and I can take credit. We saw these things converging, mm-hmm. um, but there is a million others that were absolutely dumb luck and just well timed. Uh, I didn't intend for Creative Live to be timed with the global rise of online education right. and the dismissal or the largely the dismay of traditional brick and mortar you know, multi-billion dollar companies that are taking money from you. The average student debt is $35,000, $35,200 per student. Yeah. Like I didn't see all that dovetailing yeah. with what we were doing, mm-hmm. but it just so happened. So those are like the lucky bits in the marketplace. But what we did see is we saw a hungry audience um, and the desire to to get out of the way and make something larger than ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, for sure. And uh, with, you know, the technology, if we'd have done it five years earlier, it would have cost us millions of dollars to get a prototype out the door instead of, you know, tens of thousands, which we did with our own money and bootstrap that thing. And and that's, you know, it had to do with Ustream and cheap cameras and technology, all those things lined up. And so it's, I guess it's sort of like they say in advertising, you waste 50% of your money, you just don't know which 50%. (laughs) And, you know, the same is true with ideas, like half your ideas are shitty, you just don't know which half. Right. And that's why having a lot of ideas and cultivating, that's why I advocate doing things with the ideas as opposed to just having them and pontificating because you got to plant a lot of seeds. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's something like you said that uh, I'm taking to heart right now because, uh, let's see, the last past year, I'll fast forward through it, got laid off from a job that I worked remotely and paid a good salary. And uh, I was able to still shoot and stuff like that. Um, I liked the feeling because before that I was shooting full time for six years. So it was a good transition. Um, and then I, this, this earlier this year, I got laid off. So then it's like, well, shit, what do you do? You know? And, uh, so I started looking for another job, you know, yeah. and, 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 and uh, hard. So it was, it was crazy. I was looking from New York to DC to Philly to New Jersey, anywhere, taking a $20,000 pay cut, nothing. Wow. And I'm sitting here going, let me get this straight. I have two degrees good work experience. I interview well and I can't get anything. Something, you know, something's up. Rough, and, uh, so I said, okay, I'm going to go back to making stuff. And that was the hardest discussion to have. Uh, so I say, you know what, give me two months. I'll just do my own thing and see what happens. And, uh, I started blogging more cause I knew they needed to do that. And, uh, within two weeks I got an offer to be a staff writer at F stoppers. And I was like, Oh, okay. In two weeks, I've gotten more progress than in yeah. seven months prior of beating my head against the wall. And um, so I kept going. And the idea of a podcast 
was something that I toyed around for a while, but never really told anyone. Uh, and a buddy of mine, this guy, Corin Prescott just started one day, we were just talking on Facebook and he's just like, you should, you should start a podcast. And I was like, really interesting. You say that, you know, so we started talking and we do all the same thing we do. We, we kind of downplay it and say, eh, everyone's already doing it. I'm late to the game, whatever. And he's like, dude, just fucking do it. You know? And like you said, he's, he said, you know, if you do five episodes and nothing comes of it, you you still did it. You you did five episodes and you had fun. For those five days. Yeah, yeah. You know, so for me, it was uh, people ask me all the time, oh, so in the last two months, this thing's really been blowing up. Uh, you're making money yet? And I'm like, no. <laughs> what business makes money in two months? But whatever. Aside from that, no. Uh, and they say, well, you know, do you feel the pressure? Like, how long are you going to keep doing this? Right. And, uh, and I say, you know what? I'm going to keep doing it because I don't know what the answer is. But I'm pretty sure by continuing to do this, I'll find out what it is. For sure. You know? And there's a, there's a huge fallacy in building things, building uh, careers and you know just the, the philosophy behind entrepreneurship is that you're like, all right, dude, I'm all in. And you push <laughs> all your chips in like in some stupid, dumbass Vegas movie. And what really is you got like 10 things going at once right. and you're watering all of them and some pull on your heartstrings, some pull on your wallet. And you're sort of cultivating all these things simultaneously, or that's, I think, you know, the, the, the poly hyphenate, the future mm-hmm. is like, you're doing all these things and, and some of them are growing and some of them are things that you do for love and right. others are things you do for money. And if you can sort of dovetail, put something together that works for you out of all of that stuff, then that's the way to make a living and a life doing what you love. Right. And, you know, that's again, go back to creative life. That literally is the sort of the foundation uh, of Creative Live that that if our parents had, you know, one job, we'll have five. The mm-hmm. next generation will have five at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I'm I kind of like, I'm already doing that. Like yeah. that's, you know, there's yeah. like literally all these projects that are always happening. And we have an educational system that has n- no way, shape, or form prepared to educate the world yeah. for this environment. Right. So we need other dynamic platforms. That's it's one of the things that Creative Live is. But it's also, it's a mentality that... The next generation, you know, to reference angry millennial, like the millennials, they it used to be, uh, you know, even when I was growing up in the 80s, it was sort of a faux pas to say, like, I didn't know something. Right. Like, who doesn't know how to do? No one raises their fucking hand. <laughs> and yeah. we're like, oh, I mean, of course. I, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then you're like, oh, shit, I don't know how to do that. And you can't even, you, back then, you couldn't go home and Google it. Yeah, there was know, no Google. Yeah, you had it. to go to the library, and that was a lost cause, right? The card catalog, <laughs> Dewey Decimal, are you kidding me? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, the flip side is that now it's like, yep, I want to know how to do that. I want to do my own podcast. I want to write my own code. I want to shoot my own pictures. And my friend Gary, he's a coder, and we're going to do this new mm-hmm. thing. And, and it's like, it's a different spirit. And that zeitgeist is one of the things that I'm interested in ha- helping um, support yeah. that community and the ability to do. It's interesting because you, you, you know, right, through doing it, that for a long time it was the opposite. It was be a master at one thing, have your passions when, when it's your own time and don't mix it too. And for me, for a long time, is the same thing. I mean, if you look at like, I think I put everything on, on LinkedIn or maybe my, my Facebook, where like it'll say, currently at four different things yep. and people are like well which one's the one you're really doing why don't you concentrate on one and i'm like but you know what i water every little one of those because like you said yep. i never know which one could take off and this so, is it's a great way of standing out too if someone is interviewing you and they're asking you that question and you're like a deer like this is a way to flip the script like mm-hmm. um this is actually the future of the world <laughs> 
And, you know, if you talk to any millennial, you're trying to hire someone who comes from my sort of roots or my viewpoint. Mm -hmm. um, this is what you're going to get. Right. So, you know, it's a way to flip the script on yeah. people who are looking like, okay, what's, what's your thing? And uh, I was also told my whole life to do one thing and be the best at that. Mm -hmm. And I do believe that there's, like, you need to go super deep. And in the process of going super deep, what you figure out is how to learn. Yeah. For so sure. I went super deep in in action sports photography. Mm -hmm. um, learned from a lot of people before me, but more importantly, took things outside the industry into my industry and was able to innovate in a way that was sort of um, novel or different for that right. industry. And run super deep to ground, like you know, so that I, I was working very actively. But what that whole world taught me is how to move into new communities, mm -hmm. how to listen more than I talk, how to meet the right people. And, and how to learn and sort of replicate that process of being an outsider, knowing some people, learning, providing, supporting, you know, participating in the community. And then lo and behold, you're a peer. Right. And then how can you come up and, and be successful in that particular thing? And doing, doing that over and over has really been, you know, I call it the rise of the polymath. We talked about the multi-hyphenate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, something that is, it's no surprise to me. I guess you can only connect the dots looking backwards. <laughs> that I'm, you know, the co-founder and CEO of a company that's about lifelong learning when my right. passion really, it photography was the first expression of it and it's, a, it's still very, very core to who I am as a person. But that was basically like the main route mm -hmm. and then all these other sort of um, smaller subsidiary routes that have grown into large things in and of themselves are a, you know, downstream result of that ability to learn how to do a thing. Right. Yeah. And I mean, it's, you know, you mentioned... Um, going all in and saying that certain things are going to work out, certain things aren't. Um, you know, what's your biggest regret in terms of business opportunities? Now, I'm not trying to point any names here, but you, you did kind of mention the best camera app, and we've <laughs> all heard that story where you sit there and say, you basically built Instagram before Instagram and just, and we talk, I've yeah. heard you talk about it, you know sure. what I mean? Where, where back then, like you just said, you struggled with that idea. Yeah. You know, you struggled with the hyphenate idea. Sure. That is a, um, that's certainly the billion dollar or multi hundred million dollar mistake that I've made. Uh, and it's, it's laughable to like, those are, but those are the real like figures, you yeah. know, that's, yeah. and yet I don't regret that. Again, looking backwards mm -hmm. is the way you connect these dots. And so I do consider it, you know, one of my biggest failures. Um, I've had other big failures too, but, uh, you know, maybe those are personality centric or, but, mm -hmm. you know, talked about business and I went up purely, uh, it's a huge, huge opportunity, and I saw it very, very early. Mm -hmm. um, but literally, what we're sitting in this like the space with the you know amazing people who are coming to work here. That you know, hundred plus people come to work at Creative Live every day. Wow. That is born from the lessons that I learned around Best Camera. And for those who don't know, basically, Best Camera is the first iPhone app in the world to to allow to share photos direct to social networks. So if you can imagine way back in 2008 and 9 when apps first came out there was just apps for photography and you didn't you weren't actually able to share. Right. And I was using six or seven apps every time I took a picture to get something out in the world which is a total pain in the ass and total bullshit. <laughs> so I was scratching my own itch. It, it went on to be app of the year in 2009 for mm -hmm. Macworld New York Times, uh, Wired magazine, Phil Schiller the big marketing guru who's still a badass there at, at Apple called it one of his favorite apps along with Facebook and CNN and uh it was on the now. I was, you know, speaking all over the world about the future of mobile photography. Everyone thought I was crazy. <laughs> on the morning shows, all that shit, and it was, it was, 
um, it became so valuable so quickly that it paralyzed me. Yeah. And, you know, when you got Silicon Valley, big venture folks trying to talk to you, want you to write, yeah, just give us uh, 25% of your company and we'll give you X millions of dollars yeah. and then we're going to grow the thing. And I'm like, oh shit, you know, I'm basically, and then I sort of receded into the thing that I knew, mm-hmm. which was what fear often does. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. it, it, it motivates you to go the wrong direction. And, um, and again, it also goes back to, um, if I just said, Hey, I don't know anything about this, but let's work it out. But I really, I thought that I needed to have had that experience before that I needed to know everything. And then when a venture capital person was approaching me, I needed to know how to handle that. And so my way of dealing with a not knowing and B being, um, too sort of weak or afraid to say that I don't know was to do nothing and intentionally like, yeah, I'm just going to turn this. This is just an art project. And I've got millions of users and, you know, we've got, it was the first stream of, you know, first live stream of photographs that, you know, I had to work specifically with Apple on the idea of having a live feed of images. And I remember on New Year's 2009, watching the app that I had created with a bunch of smart friends at, at my photo studio and watching New Year's unfold on my phone in real time. So I was seeing like fireworks in Singapore and Paris and like and people partying and having food and community and getting together. And I was like, holy shit. Like this is yeah. This is the future of photography. Is is real time, global, you know, the best camera is the one that's with you, phrase that I you know popularized and subsequently trademarked around this concept. And to have it all like to just literally walk away from it. Yeah, there's some confounding things. I did get into a legal fight with my developer who um, did not respect our contract and didn't think that, this is a funny one, didn't think that apps were going to be valuable. (laughs) (laughs) Literally. Um, And uh, I'm, I guess we're getting a little bit of a precursor here because I am going to tell this story a lot more Mm -hmm. publicly over the course of of next quarter. Um, I'm I'm writing something about it. Uh, I'm recording some videos around it. And telling the story in a way that other entrepreneurs, I hope, can learn from. Very cool. Uh, because it was a it was a big big mess and big pain point for me personally. Right. I mean, but you've already you've already mentioned it that that you were able to learn from it. And I guess that's the biggest thing we can always ask, right? Is I can sit there and say I've I've shit the bed on a few times in my life where I'm going. Ooh, that was bad, you know? And and once you get over, you lick your wounds and you get over the the ding to your ego, you sit there and say, okay, you know what? I'm not going to make that mistake again. Yeah. For whatever reason, you know what I mean? And and you think about it, you go from that being paralyzed with fear at how overwhelmingly successful it was. For sure. And, you know, to then say, hey, you obviously had to raise money for Creative Live and you did pretty fucking good at it. You know what I mean? So so maybe it was like that was meant to happen to then put you in the place where you could, for sure. you know what I mean? No question do about this. it. And imagine if you did make Instagram, you'd be sitting there probably under under Mark Zuckerberg's uh, <laughs> desk, desk there next to yeah, Zuck, right? Exactly. Like, I'm, a, I'm a photographer. What am I doing? Here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you always been like a, a Gary V like Oracle trend forecaster? Um, I I, uh, <laughs> um, I, whenever I think of Gary, I laugh because the guy's awesome and yeah. we have a lot of overlapping energy and oh, we're yeah. both in the same room and it's, it's, it's funny. It's hysterical. Just, I'm sure the yeah. walls just start bowing. <laughs> I was just with him a couple weeks ago in New York <laughs> and it was laughable. Um, I think, um, connecting the dots is, is a thing that I have, um, 
I think it's a thing that I do well. Mm-hmm. And um, there's a lot of things that I don't do well, but being able to sort of see around the corner a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You know, the, I think the technical term you just use is forecasting trends. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm mostly just tapped into the, the zeitgeist and, and through a, a network of really exciting and inspirational people and friends and ideas. Um, I'm passionate about ideas. I'm passionate about incubating. I'm passionate about concepts and um, and making things. And when you run in a circle, you, you kind of hear things maybe before pop culture hears them. Mm-hmm. Um but I do think that's, you know, certainly seeing that I remember talking to, um, I won't name any names, but the person who owns the P&L for iPhone inside of Apple and sharing with them that, you know, it was before the app had come out. And, and when you have something as groundbreaking was what I was doing, you actually, you know, you're talking with Apple about it because right. you need to adjust the rules. Like there was no live feed of photographs and we had to work around that and, you know, not necessarily adjusting the TNC, but it's, it's very strategic. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I remember saying, this is going to literally going to be the most popular camera in the world. And you're like, he's like, you, you really think people are going to give up there? <laughs> and I'm like, no, it's not going to be a give up. It's going to be a replace. Like, mm-hmm. because this is, you know, the best camera is the one that's with you. And uh, so to be able to see that, um, again, just uh, right place, right time. Yeah. You know, I had a bunch of conflating circumstances that all worked in my favor. And I've had that good fortune a couple times. Um, but there's a lot of things that I've missed for sure. You know, mm-hmm. again, like I wish I could say that I saw online education coming up as the next, it's like the largest industry in the history of the world yet to be meaningfully disrupted. That's just totally lucky that my passion on creativity and starting a an education company focused on creativity with some friends of mine in a garage in Seattle happened to time with the global rise of online education. I, I think I could see it happening, but to say that it was so perfectly timed around you know, venture being really interested in that and, and basically healthcare are these multi hundred billion dollar annual markets that have, you know, a lot. We're just in the very, very infancy of their growth, too. All right. So I hope you guys enjoyed the first part of the two part series um, with Chase Jarvis. We talked about a whole bunch of great things, the booming Seattle uh, real estate, um, you know, along with tons of stuff that. You know, maybe people have known about, you know, with the early uh, UK trips that Chase had growing up, the small, small beginnings of Creative Live, uh, how he's been able to forecast certain trends, um, you know, how he pretty much started in Instagram, but at the same time didn't really take advantage of that and dealing with being a hyphenate and that kind of thing. And I think that's a huge takeaway from today's episode is for a lot of creatives, you know, we have this problem. We have this problem where we, you know, we put ourselves in a box and we think that we have to be this one thing all the time instead of just accepting the fact that a lot of us have a lot of different things that we're, that we're good at and we excel at and really should push those things. I know I'm trying to do it with this and, and everything else I have going on. So, you know, I hope you guys enjoyed it. Tune in on Monday for the second half of the two-part interview with Chase Jarvis. Take care.